Take your Bibles out and turn with me this morning to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 and we'll begin looking from verse 9 and following. Verse 9 through verse 14. Proactively praying through life in 2013. Proactively praying through life in 2013. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word please? Paul says, and so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Father, this morning we are so grateful for your work in our behalf. The fact that you so love the world that you gave your only begotten Son. And because of his work of redemption and reconciliation on the cross, the Bible tells us that we can have access into your presence. We have that joy and privilege day by day to go before your throne, to cast all of our cares upon you knowing that you care for us. And Lord, as we do that, we know that we have a sympathetic high priest because of the incarnation, because he came in the flesh. He knows what it's like to be faced with the trials and temptations that we're faced with every day. And so the Bible says he's able to intercede for us. We're grateful for that. Lord, in this new year, I pray that we would not be a prayerless people because Jesus said that his Father's house is to be a house of prayer. And Father, we know that we are that temple, we are that house in which you dwell. And so I pray that we would not be a prayerless people, but we would take advantage of the opportunity every day to go before the sovereign God of the universe. Lord, if there's even one here today that doesn't enjoy that privilege because they're still alienated from you, they're living a life of sin and darkness, I pray that your Holy Spirit today would draw them to faith in Christ that they might have that opportunity of communion and fellowship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In his book, How I Pray, Dr. Billy Graham tells the story of a young CEO and president of a major corporation here in America. Now, every morning, the first thing this president tells his secretary, he says, please do not disturb me 
until I tell you that I am free. Because this morning I have a very important engagement. Now on this particular morning in question, a few minutes later, a very impatient and frazzled chairman of the board got off of the elevator and walked up to the desk of the secretary and said, I need to go in right now and see the president. I have an urgent matter of business to discuss with him. And she said, I'm sorry, sir, you can't. He's in a private meeting right now and he can't be disturbed. Well, the chairman of the board was very angry at this and said, do you not realize who you're talking to? And at that, he stormed into the president's office. And as he did so, he saw the president of that corporation down on his knees beside his desk and he realized he was praying. He quietly backed out of the office and shut the door and went back over to the secretary and said, does he do this often? And the secretary said, yes, sir, every day. The chairman of the board said, hmm, Now I understand why I come to him for advice quite often. In a letter like the letter to the Colossians, which is designated to combat false teaching and to exalt the supremacy of Jesus Christ, it's very fitting that Paul begins this little epistle talking about prayer. Somebody once said that the church moves forward on her knees. Folks, it is questionable if anything of lasting value is ever going to happen in the kingdom of God apart from prayer. Now, we've all prayed for certain things and for certain people. No doubt you've prayed for safe travel as you're getting ready to back out of the driveway and go on a long trip. Or you have prayed for somebody who is about to undergo surgery at the hospital. And all of that is wonderful. We ought to pray about all of those things. But a lot of times our praying is what I would call emergency praying. Somebody is in a crisis and we're praying for that immediate need. We are reactive in our praying rather than proactive in our praying. We're on the defense rather than the offense. And folks, it's the proactive kind of praying that I suppose we need the most guidance on. You see, it's easy to pray those reactive prayers. We simply pray for the current crisis, whatever that crisis might be. But a lot of times with proactive praying, we get down on our knees, we open our Bibles, we read a a little bit from the Word of God, we go to God in prayer, and we simply don't know what to pray for. Well, this prayer in Colossians 1 is a lesson in proactive praying. Proactive praying. It's a great prayer for you and I this next year before we even realize what we may be faced with. And it teaches us and it shows us how we need to pray beyond 
the emergencies of life. Now Paul gives five petitions here. I want us to cover all these. We'll cover them fairly quickly this morning. But first of all, we need to pray that ourselves and our loved ones might be filled with a knowledge of the will of God. Look back with me at verse 9. He says, and so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now I want you to understand what's going on here in the Colossian congregation. In all probability, the Apostle Paul has never visited this church. It's believed that Epaphras is the one who carried the gospel to them. You see, Paul was at Ephesus at least two, maybe three years, and he was ministering the word of God at Ephesus. Ephesus was about 100 miles west of Colossae there in, in Asia Minor. And as Paul was ministering the gospel there in Ephesus, Epaphras had no doubt gone to Ephesus and some circumstance, we're not told what, he had been exposed to the preaching ministry of the Apostle Paul. He had heard the good news of Jesus Christ, given his life to Christ, and he had taken the gospel back to Colossae. And he had planted a church there. And as he, as he talks to Paul, you see, Paul was was in a Roman imprisonment, his first imprisonment, he was under house arrest. And Epaphras has visited him there and told Paul the state of the congregation there. Now the congregation was faced with two main challenges. They were kind of caught in the middle between two very unfortunate things. On the one hand, there were the Judaizers. The Judaizers were those that Paul also confronted in the Galatian letter. The Judaizers were those who said you need a Jesus plus something else salvation. And for them that something else was the Old Testament law. You need to add the Mosaic law, you need to add circumcision, you need to observe all the Jewish uh, holidays and festivals on top of Christ and you need all of that to be justified in the sight of God. Jesus Christ is not sufficient in and of himself to save you. And of course Paul said to the Galatians that is a false gospel. That is no gospel at all. We don't need to add anything to Jesus Christ. But at Colossae these Judaizers had come in and influenced that congregation. And then on the other hand there were the Gnostics. For the Gnostics, the gospel was too simple for them. They believed salvation came through a special knowledge and only a certain few, only a certain select group of elite had this special knowledge, this gnosis. And so they were called the Gnostics. And the believers at Colossae were hammered from both sides by these different groups. And as Epaphras comes and tells Paul about the challenges that they're facing there, Paul writes a letter to them to encourage 
encourage them and to warn them and to instruct them, but to also assure them that he is praying for them. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to be men and women of prayer. We need to be praying for one another. And I want you to notice the first priority in his prayers was that the Colossians might come to understand God's will. In fact, he prays that they would be filled up with the knowledge of God's will. I want you to look in verse 9 and underscore those three words where he says that you may be filled. The word means to be fully equipped. And in ancient times, the, the, the word picture behind this phrase was of the ancient ships that would be tied up in a harbor. And they would be getting ready to go on a long voyage. And so in preparation for that long voyage, they would be filled up with supplies before they set out on that voyage. Well, life is like a voyage. And we need to be filled up with a knowledge of the will of God if it is going to be a successful voyage. Folks, if we grow in our understanding of the will of God, there is so much other, so many other aspects of the Christian life that will be taken care of if we first of all just know the will of God. And so Paul is praying for them that they would know the will of God. And be filled up with that knowledge of the will of God. You know, as Christians, all Christians, especially new Christians, we need to understand that we're not our own. We are bought with a price. The Bible says that we are to glorify God. Here we were once living by our own will, our own pleasures, our own desires and purposes. But when God saves us, now we're his. We belong to him. And God has a will for us. He has a purpose. So many people are confused about what their purpose on earth is. And they wrongly suppose that somehow or another it's tied up with their position in life or the amount of money they have in their checkbook. And while all of those things might have importance to us, we have a larger overriding purpose as believers. We are to do the will of God. The will of God is to dictate our lives. And so we need a knowledge of the will of God. And because we need a knowledge of the will of God, that needs to be something that we daily pray about. We need to be asking God that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will. That's where victorious Christian living begins. Now I want you to notice what he goes on in verse 9 to say about this. It's a spiritual wisdom that we need in discerning the will of God. Notice he says, I pray that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding." We need wisdom from the Spirit of God. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would teach us. He would teach us the Word of God and He would impart spiritual wisdom to us. Now the natural man is not able to understand this. He's not particularly interested in the Word of God and even when he reads it, it doesn't make a great deal of sense to him. I remember reading the testimony some years ago 
about a leading psychologist in this nation, a psychologist that even large corporations would send their employees to for training. And he would coach these employees and, and, and help them. And, and this psychologist was supposedly a brilliant man, but he was lost. He didn't know God. He didn't much care about that. At least not until he had to get his six-year-old son off the bottom of a swimming pool one time and end up burying the little boy. And through that experience, he came to faith in the Lord Jesus. And he later said, I can't, I can't imagine now how blind and how ignorant I used to be to the things of God. He was a brilliant man and yet he was blind and ignorant to the things of God. You see, the, the natural man understandeth not the things of the Spirit of God uh, until he's regenerated, until he's born again. He needs Christ in his life. And with Christ in our lives, we're to study the Word of God and allow the Word of God, uh, allow the Holy Spirit to take the Word of God and transform our lives. That's spiritual wisdom. Now the next word he uses here, understanding, has to do with application. Knowing the will of God, we apply it. And he's going to get into that next also. And so Paul is saying to this church of new Christians, I'm praying for you. I pray that as you have lived for your will, you will now live for God's will. God's will is spiritually discerned. So I pray that you'll be taught his will by the Spirit. And having been taught by the Spirit, the will of God, that you will apply it. What a great petition. Some of you are struggling with decisions next year, certain trials or crises in your life. Or maybe a loved one is. You need to be praying this for them. Now secondly, I want you to notice in verse 10, uh, he points out that we need to pray for ourselves and our loved ones that we will walk worthy of the Lord. Verse 10 says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Folks, knowing the will of God is not simply so we can say that our heads are puffed up with knowledge. The New Testament never holds up knowledge for the sake of knowledge alone. In fact, it tells us that knowledge without love does nothing more than puff us up. God imparts a knowledge of his will that we might get busy about doing that will. D.L. Moody once said every Bible ought to be bound in shoe leather. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here in verse 10. Now folks, when he says that they would live a life worthy of the Lord, I, I want to clear up some confusion here. He's not talking about this is something they've got to earn. I want to be clear on something. We know that the Bible tells us salvation is a free gift of God's grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, lest any man may boast. We're saved. It's, it's a free gift of God's grace. It's not what I've done or you've done, but what he's done. 
But then the Bible points out that the redeemed of the Lord are to live consecrated lives, surrendered lives. Daily we are to surrender our lives to him. That's walking worthily of the Lord. A worthy walk is a grateful walk. We're grateful for this salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. It's precisely because Christ gave us his all that we want to give him our all. The question is not that at some later point in life we're going to get more of God, some kind of second blessing. That's not the question. The question is, does God have all of me? We need to understand what we've been saved from and what we've been saved for and we need to walk worthy. Now, we're to walk with weight. The word worthy here literally means weight. And it refers to walking with impact. Walking with significance. Walking with maturity. Too many Christians want to have weight in their life in every way but the right way. They want to live a life of significance out on the golf course or live a life of significance, whatever their hobby or career happens to be. But they don't care if their spiritual life has any weight or substance to it. And they're just satisfied to be spoon-fed. Spoon-fed the milk of the Word and never get around to digesting the meat of the Word. It's a passive Uh, survival mentality. Let's just grin and bear life and make it through. And so they sit in church all their life and they never do anything for God of any significance. It's tragic. We need to be praying that Christians would walk with weight when it comes to their their Christian walk. Pray that for your children. Don't simply pray that they'll grow up and go to the right school and get the right degree and land the right job. All that's important. But pray that your children will walk worthy of the Lord. Walk with weight. Years ago in Charlotte, Dr. Billy Graham's dad got together with a number of other farmers in the community and they began praying for revival and they began praying that there would be some young man that God would raise up who would carry the gospel to the world. Little did he realize that it was going to be his own son that did that. Pray for your children that they'll walk with weight. Pray for yourself that you'll walk with weight. Paul says, I'm wanting you to know the will of God so you'll turn around and walk worthy of it. I think of biblical characters who did that. There was Moses. God called Moses to go before Pharaoh and say, Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses did that. He was God's vessel. He led a life of weight, a a life of significance. He was God's servant, and that's how we're to be. We're to walk, he goes on to explain what else is going to be involved in in this worthy walk. Not only a life of impact, of significance, but he says that you might be fully pleasing to him. Now, folks, this is not a new petition, okay? He's not changed subjects. 
This is a modifying word, a participle that, that points back to what it means to walk worthy of the Lord. That they would be fully pleasing to the Lord. To please God, we're going to have to walk by faith. Uh, Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Trusting God is one of the greatest challenges we'll ever face. But to please God, we've got to trust him. Even when his word maybe doesn't make sense, we trust him. There was Simon Peter. The Lord said to Peter, Peter cast out on the other side of the boat. And Peter said, Lord, we've been toiling all night long and have not caught anything. But it's your command. We'll do it. And they cast their net out on that side of the boat. And the net was full. Obedience. If we're going to be fully pleasing to the Lord, we're going to have to walk in obedience. And then a third thing involved in that worthy walk is bearing fruit that he mentions again in verse 10. You and I are going to produce some kind of fruit. That's not in question. The question is, what kind of fruit? Will it be good fruit? Paul prayed that these people wouldn't just be busy serving God, but that in every good work they would be bearing fruit. Now, bearing fruit in the Bible is always described in one of two ways. The inner and the outer. The inner fruit is the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 Love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. And then there's the outer fruit, the, the souls that we impact. Now looking back over your life, what is the fruit of your life? Is your life characterized by the, by the fruit of the Spirit? Is it filled with love and peace and joy? Or is it filled with the works of the flesh? Things like strife and, and jealousy and immorality and sensuality and division. Do you display the fruit of the Spirit or the works of the flesh? Are you winning anybody to the Lord? Are you investing in anybody spiritually? Are you sharing your faith? Are you using your spiritual gift to build up the body of Christ? Or are you just living for yourself? We need to be a people that will be bearing fruit. So these things, walking with weight... Fully pleasing God, walking in obedience, bearing fruit. That's what it's going to look like when we're walking in a manner worthy of God. So just two petitions so far, really. You see, he's just adding word after word to modify these two petitions. Petition number one, that we would know the will of God, be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. And then secondly, being filled with the knowledge of the will of God, that we would walk worthy of the Lord. Now thirdly from verse 10, pray that you and your loved ones will increase in the knowledge of God. You see, now it's not just simply the knowledge of the will of God, but the knowledge of God himself. Knowing God is the most significant thing that can ever happen to us in life. Jesus said to the woman at the well that if she came to know him, she would have a spring of water coming up from within her. 
You'll never be bored with God. If you're bored with God, something is greatly amiss in your Christian walk. Now, folks, I'm not simply talking about knowing facts about God, which, by the way, is not necessarily bad in and of itself. We're just to move beyond that. But he's not talking about just knowing facts about God. You know, some people, that's, that's all they know about God. It'd be kind of like going home this afternoon and getting out there encyclopedias and, and biographies and so forth and learning about the life of Abraham Lincoln or, or George Washington or Thomas Jefferson or some other famous well-known person. You can learn all the facts about George Washington, but it doesn't mean that you, that you know George Washington as a person. A lot of people just, they know all kinds of facts about God, but they don't know God. But folks, we need to understand that this is what sets Christianity apart from all the other religions. Other religions, they'll have an idol or something, and, and you do this or that to appease your God or your idol, and, and there's not even a concept that you can know that God. But in Christianity, through Jesus Christ, you can actually enter into a knowledge of God and communion and fellowship with the sovereign God of the universe. And as you do, there's peace and joy and blessing in that. It has nothing to do with your circumstances. In fact, you can be in bad circumstances in life. There was Paul in, 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 in Philippi. Or, or writing to the Philippians, he was in Rome, chained to those Roman soldiers under house arrest. And he wrote to the Philippians about the joy that he had because through his circumstances, he was able to reach a whole new, a whole new atmosphere of people. Had nothing to do with his circumstances. He knew God. And so we need to pray that we would know God and pray that for one another. And folks, it takes time. It takes effort. You've got to talk to God. You've got to, you've got to sit before God with His Word and meditate on it and pray and listen. It, it, just like any other relationship, it takes time. But it's worth the effort. Now, a fourth petition that he, he prays here. Pray that you and your loved ones may be strengthened with his power. Look at verse 11. He says, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Now so far we've seen Paul wants them to know the will of God. He wants them to apply the will of God in the way they walk in life. He wants them to bear fruit for God. He wants them to know God. Now he's praying that they would walk in the power of God. They need that, we need that. None of us in here knows. We don't have any clue what we might be faced with in 2013. We have no clue what trials may come our way. What we might be called upon to bear. And so we need God's power in us. And, and, and Paul says here what it's going to look like when we have God's power in us, there's two things that's going to characterize our lives. First of all, there's going to be patience. The word is hupomene, bearing up underneath the load. 
We think of patience in totally the wrong way. For us, patience means just sitting back and waiting on something to happen. We're sitting back at the red light and we're waiting on the red light to change green and it won't hurry up. Doesn't it drive you crazy when you're driving down 29 in the fast lane, somebody in front of you is doing 30 miles an hour in the 45 speed limit. We need patience, don't we? But again, that's not, the, that's not the idea behind this word. The idea behind this word is, is you don't let circumstances get you down. You don't let them turn you bitter. I'll give you an image of this. It'd be like a soldier coming back from Iraq or Af- Afghanistan, maimed and crippled. Maybe, maybe he or she's only got one arm now or one leg or one eye. And they've got to kind of retool the way they do life, go through therapy. And retool. And, and, they, and they bear up under that. They learn a whole new way of life. And they move forward with their life. And something great happens. That's, that's the biblical word here for patience. And it's important even to have the right attitude. As James says in James 1, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. The Colossians needed patience, and we do as well. We need God's strength. We need God's power. Jesus never quit under trials. In the trial of his life, he went into the garden and prayed, Not my will, but thine be done. God didn't take the cup away, but he had the strength and the power to move on the next day and face the cross. Folks, we need that kind of power from God. And then the next word he uses in verse 11, the long-suffering. Whereas the first word referred to difficult circumstances... This word refers to dealing with difficult people. The power of God is going to be seen in our lives as we successfully make it through both, whether it's difficult circumstances or difficult people. We're going to face difficult people. Connie and I were talking to a minister and his wife this past week. Boy, they were talking about, and it's hard to get any ministry in their church done because they're putting out this fire, this fire, this person's mad at this person, or there's this dysfunction going on in this family or that family. And every week, instead of being able to do ministry together as a church, they're just simply having to go around and use all of their energy dealing with all the dysfunction and problems. Boy, listening to that made me doubly thankful for you. But long-suffering is the ability to, to deal with difficult people. Some people face that under their own roof. Heard about a man in Walmart with his little infant son. That little boy was pitching a fit in the straw. Going through Walmart. Easy, Albert. Easy now, Albert. Calm down, Albert. It's okay, Albert. Lady came over and said, Sir, I'm so impressed by you, how gently you're talking to your son. He said, Lady, he's Tim, I'm Albert. (laughs) 
Paul was praying whether it was circumstances or people coming against them, they would have the strength from God to bear up under it. And then lastly, pray that you and your loved ones may be filled with thanksgiving. He mentions that in verse 12 through 14. And I want you to notice he lists four different reasons why Christians ought to be the most thankful people on the face of the earth. An ungrateful Christian ought to be an oxymoron. Because look at the four things he says God has accomplished for us. Number one, he has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints. We've been qualified for heaven through Jesus Christ. You see, on our own, we're disqualified. We didn't make the cut, but through Christ. God qualified us for heaven. And has given us a glorious inheritance. You remember that inheritance in the Old Testament? The children of Israel, as they went into the promised land, each tribe got a certain portion of the promised land. But sometimes in battles or something, they lose some of that. We've got a better inheritance. Peter says in 1 Peter 1, we've got an inheritance that can never be taken from us and it'll never fade, not one bit. Just as glorious after we've been there 10,000 years as the day we first stepped foot in heaven. He's made us heirs of eternal life, heirs of the glories of heaven, heirs of a heavenly home, heirs of righteousness, heirs of a new glorified body one day. We're heirs together, the Bible says, join heirs with Christ. Second reason for thanksgiving. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness, he mentions in, in verse 13. We were once under the domain, the control of darkness. And who's the king of that domain? Satan. We were under Satan's domain. But through Jesus Christ, we're snatched out of darkness and out of Satan's control. And we're now under a new rule, a new dominion. He goes on to mention thirdly, he's transferred us to the kingdom of his son. We're citizens of a new kingdom. A kingdom where life and light and truth reign. And lastly, he points out he's given us redemption and forgiveness. He's redeemed us through his blood. Redemption is a word that has to do with a purchase. He's purchased us and paid the price for our guilt. He bore our guilt that we might bear his holiness. He's forgiven us. Think of that, folks. You can wake up every day with the clean slate. So Paul is saying all of these are reasons why we ought to be thankful. Five petitions that he gives here for the Colossian believers. Is there somebody you need to be praying this for this year? To know the will of God, to live a life of weight, of significance, to know God, to be well-pleasing to God, to bear fruit, to be patient, to be long-suffering, and to be thankful? Are you willing to lay aside time this coming year to consistently and faithfully pray these petitions for yourself and your loved ones? Have you allowed Satan to hinder your prayer life? 
Somebody said the greatest thing Satan fears is praying believers on their knees. Have you allowed him to hinder your prayer life? You don't have to allow him to do that. The Bible says greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And let's remember that nothing of significance gets done apart from prayer. I want you to memorize Acts 4.31. Acts 4.31 says of the early church, And when they prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they all spake the word of God with boldness. When did it happen? After they prayed. Not before. After. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you again for this great opportunity of prayer. That we can enter into your presence. Put all of our petitions there. All of our burdens. We can pray for wisdom and guidance. And we can just simply sit before you and praise you and fellowship with you. Lord, I pray for that one right now who can't do that because they're alienated from you. They're unredeemed. They've never given their heart and life to the Lord Jesus. Father, I pray that you would convict them of their condition right now and their need of a Savior. If they'll come to the Savior, not only can they have forgiveness and peace with you, but they can have access into your presence. Draw them to yourself today. Give them courage to make it public. Lord, for believers here, maybe there are many who have been guilty of going through each day in self-sufficiency. Forgive us for that. That's human pride. Lord, we need you. So help us to be a group of people praying this year. Proactively praying. Not just waiting for the emergencies to come but proactively pray every day of our lives, bathing our loved ones in prayer. May we be a house of prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our hymn of invitation is going to be on the screens behind me. If you need Christ in your life, God's working on your heart and you're ready to confess Him as Lord, I would ask you, As soon as we begin singing, just step out and come forward. You don't have to wait on anybody else. If you need a church home where you can be a part of a praying people, you come forward as well. Perhaps believers want to come to the altar in a public way if you feel led and say, Oh God, forgive me for prayerlessness. I want to be a prayer warrior this year. You make that commitment to God.